This is Paul. And this is Wayne. So, guys, I watched a show yesterday that 15 minutes before I watched it, I had no idea that it was even a thing. Um, it was a documentary called Batman and Bill uh, uh, about the uh, the fight to get co-creator rights for Bill Finger for uh, uh, creating Batman and yes. the Joker and Catwoman. I never knew about this documentary, and it was freaking amazing. Have you guys seen this? I have not seen it, but I have heard of it. I remember when it came out. It was a big deal. Yeah, it, same same here. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. I've seen a few like YouTube videos about it, and it's uh-huh. a fascinating story. It is... I got to tell you, it is the documentary is expertly produced. Uh, it it was just terrific. And while I had initial groans because, you know, you, you can't make a comic book documentary anymore these days without the inclusion of Kevin Smith. And that always drives me crazy. But there's actually a reason for Kevin Smith to be in the documentary. So when 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 that came up, I was like, OK. I'll let it go then. (laughs) (laughs) This time, I'll let it go. But, you know, and largely it's because it seems like, you know, Kevin Smith is the de facto comic book expert for our generation. And that just annoys me that he is occupying that space. Especially since he's not an expert. Exactly. What I I think he he is really good about educating himself so that he can sound smart. Uh, But, you know, I, I, I... his expertise is questionable in my opinion, but there is a reason for him to be in the documentary. Uh, what I particularly enjoyed is some of the deep cuts they've got with comic book professionals with archival, uh, uh, media from like 1965. I mean, it is just an amazing production and it tells a really interesting and important story. I think about creator rights and, and, you know, the importance of, of, uh, to a person's, you know, self-image, self-respect, uh, about getting credit for the work you do and how that has an impact on your children. I mean, this was a multi-generational effort to get Bill, Fring- Bill Finger his rights, and it was fascinating. I really, I cannot recommend it enough, and if you've got Hulu, go watch it. It streams there right now. So uh, I, I stop what you're doing. Hit pause. Go watch Batman and Bill. Come back and listen to the rest of the show. It was fantastic. Don't do that. Don't listen to Aaron. Finish (laughs) the podcast and then go watch Batman and Bill. You know, what? what, at the the very end of the film, and this isn't a spoiler because all of this has happened, but, uh, you know, he, he, the... The rights are won for the the finger heirs. And the first place that Bill Finger's credit appears is on uh, Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. And what I found amusing is the uh, the guy who started this whole modern fight for his rights. They, they've got a shot of him watching Dawn of Justice in the opening credits. So it's a shot of us watching a guy watching a movie. <laughs> I was like, powerful end. <laughs> and I make fun of it, but it does work. It just cracks me up. Powerful. <laughs> well, I, I, I definitely will give it a watch. Like you said, it, it is available on Hulu, correct? Hulu. Yes. Hulu. 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 
but you know what's not going to be available on Hulu? Any James Bond uh, movies? And, and, and you know any of that stuff from MGM because uh, Jeff Bezos decided to spend eight point five billion dollars on uh, uh, James Bond stuff. I will tell you, they overpaid. I feel like that $8.5 billion (laughs) for MGM, other than James Bond, you know, I was looking at this, MGM-owned franchises, other than James Bond, there's really not much. I mean, there's the Pitch Perfect franchise, there's the the Hot Tub Time Machine franchise, (laughs) all all two movies. I mean, there's really not much. Stargate, um, Rocky, Handmaid's Tale, um, Legally Blonde... (laughs) It, it I don't think they were really not much. Were, I don't think they were valuing the franchises nearly as much as they were valuing the classic back catalog. I don't disagree, you know, but even then, that feels like for me, you know, it. This is a deal that I could see being made five, ten years ago when uh-huh, you know yeah. they were standing up Prime Video. But at this yep. point, you're not going to sell more subscriptions on your classic James Bonds or you know your. Wizard of Oz or whatever, you know, I, I think that, you know, there are a couple of things at play here. One, they want to be able to say, look at all this content. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, instead of saying, you know, we, we, we've got your instead of in addition to being able to say, you know, we've got your James Bonds. They can also say plus 50,000, you know, or whatever the number is classic movies. Now, I agree. I think that the value of that is questionable in that I don't think uh, modern movie watching audiences are nearly as interested in classical film as perhaps the prior generation was uh, as much as I am. I mean, I love the, one of the things I love most about HBO max is the Turner classic movies content. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't think that sells as much, but I think the other factor at play here is that Jeff Bezos can't spend all of his money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got, he's got, I, he literally has so much fucking money that $8.5 billion spent on MGM doesn't really make a blip for him. No. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is it is crazy fuck you money that uh, that Jeff Bezos <laughs> has. And he goes, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It just and seems I, like it was a huge overpay unless there's something that we don't know. Like, there's some math figured in that we just don't understand that they have a plan. But I think it's like the Cylons. They say they have a plan, but they don't really have a plan. Exactly. Well, and it could just be that Jeff Bezos, an American, wants a say in who the next James Bond is. Right? Because, you know, we have not announced who's replacing Daniel Craig. And this has always been a decision made by the Broccoli's. Now that he owns the brand... He gets a say in that. Perhaps the next James Bond will be Jeff Bezos. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, be, that would be my, my move. I like that theory. That theory is the one that makes the most sense to me. It oh, is, he yeah. isn't actually buying the whole studio. He's buying the right to pick the next James Bond. Because I could just see him wanting to do that. It would not surprise me. I mean, you know, look at the, 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 you know, crazy fat stacks of cash he spent on The Expanse and on Lord of the Rings and uh, that horrible Wheel of Time series. I mean, it's it's crazy to me how much money this guy has. Uh, and he's just gotten richer through the pandemic since we're all having stuff delivered to our homes. Uh, he uh, he just has money to sp- he, he has the money to spend. And I'm sure he's like, go make that happen. Yeah. Spend whatever you got to spend. 
Hmm. No one has ever said that to me before, by the way. No, except except yourself in the mirror. (laughs) Well, you know, when when I went to the uh, cigar festival last week, my wife did not say spend what you have to spend. But you're right, Paul. Paul. I did say that to myself. Yes. (laughs) You looked at yourself in the mirror and you pointed at yourself. You're like, you spend what you want to spend, Aaron. What you have to spend. What you have to spend. Get it all. You get it all. (laughs) Yeah. That's the kind of thing you only say if you're uh, Bezos or Disney. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, speaking of Disney. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Disney, Sony, Columbia, right? Disney, uh, Sony, Columbia, not MGM, <laughs> not Amazon, but, it, right. but you probably gave your money to Amazon to buy it digitally. I'm assuming that is exactly correct. <laughs> I spent yep. I spent my 19.99 on uh, Prime Video to to uh, finally get to see Spider Man No Way Home, uh, and in the opening couple of scenes, I was like, oh, this is why Paul doesn't like this movie. Uh, and then all of that went away for me. I really enjoyed this film. Wait, I never said uh, I didn't like Spider-Man No Way Home. I don't like Spider-Man I... Far From Home or Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, but I okay. like Spider-Man No Way Home. Okay. Yeah. okay. Well, you know, the, the, there are some uh, scenes that are really played for sort of ridiculous comedy at the beginning of the film that I did not much care for. I felt like they were tonally out of place, even though Spider-Man tends to be a, you know warmer happier sort of character um you know he, he's not you know grim and gritty you know uh you know except the end of this film uh but uh i uh once it gets past once it gets to him going to see dr strange the movie really kicked in for me mm-hmm. uh i enjoyed this a great deal and you know i knew uh, charlie cox was going to be in the film uh, but even so, I found it surprising the scene that he was in. Yeah, I mean, I was I just like, loved I, his cameo. Like yeah. they could have made a big deal out of it, but they didn't. He's just kind of there, and that uh, that whole scene of oh, I'm just a really good lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's which why we, I'm able to catch this thing out of the air being a blind guy. I'm a really yeah. good lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we uh, we haven't we we briefly talked about it when it was first announced, but this week, speaking of Charlie Cox, you know the. Those Netflix shows are on Disney Plus as of this week. I set up my my TVMA access through my Disney Plus. You have to you know do all your security settings again or your parental settings on your Disney Plus, and they're saying that there's going to be they're saying you know they're they're calling it a reboot of Daredevil mm-hmm. is in the works. I'm assuming right. you know it's probably just a new viewer friendly Daredevil coming, um, but I'm wondering if it's going to be on on the TVMA firewall for disney plus yeah. or if they're gonna you know pg-13 it I don't, up i don't know how you do a daredevil with the violence the street violence that's you know uh associated with it mm-hmm. i think that if you if you back off on that it's re- really just kind of a different version of spider-man yeah um so i mean i i think they have to make it you know as physically punishing on you know Matt Murdock as as they had in the past, so I'd be real curious to see what they do with it. I uh, I'm also curious to see what they do with Moon Knight. You know, yeah. Moon Knight yeah. should be a pretty a pretty intense sort of action uh, thriller as well. So and I, the I'm trailers the trailers really look like it will be. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we are uh, as of this recording ten days away from Moon Knight. Ten days. Yeah, super exciting. Super exciting. I can't wait for Moon Knight. Moonlight looks so hot. 
So, Aaron, you've avoided... I mean, you know, I, I, I should say, there's no way to avoid spoilers, you know, this far out from Spider-Man No Way Home, but did you find that you were able to enjoy all of the... I don't want to call them reveals, but, you know, basically, you know, all everything that happened, you know, the Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, all that crap, you know, despite well, everything being revealed at this point. Well, you know, uh, social media won't let you avoid things like, you know, by the way, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield yeah. are going to be in this movie. Right. But what I was able to avoid was anything that happened to them in the story. So I liked very much how uh, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire were introduced to the film. I liked the roles they played. Uh, I really enjoyed the, you know, uh, I felt like they turned the characters up to 11 in terms mm-hmm. of the differences for uh, for Tobey Maguire and for Andrew Garfield. And I'm a minority, I know, but I actually liked the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. I like the uh, first pleasantly. One, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised at how much uh, I enjoyed him in the role. Uh, and what's funny is that I I really, with the exception of the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man film, I did not enjoy the others. And I hated uh, uh, Willem Dafoe as the Goblin, uh, as the Green Goblin. But I enjoyed all the bad guys in this movie. Yeah. You know, See, I, I, I always liked Willem Dafoe as the Goblin. I hated the costume. And well, I, and I should back one of the off. things I, that makes this one work is they don't wear the stupid mask. More, yeah, and, I, and I'll say Peter. that, and I'll say that I enjoyed Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn. I did not enjoy him as the Green Goblin. And you're absolutely right; it was the costume that irritated the shit out of me. And so when he smashes the Goblin mask, I was like, "All right, I don't have to look at that damn thing anymore." You know, uh, I, I I did. I really dug the movie. I I liked that they you know got the. The, the actors who played those villains uh, back and, and you know, the, I, and I, I was not spoiled at all about uh, what happens to Aunt May. So that was a surprise to me yeah. on screen. And it made I was, perfect sense in the story. I was able to keep that from my wife as well. So she didn't have it until it happens in the movie. Yeah. Well, and, and so when the when the glider hits her, you know, I'm like, oh, look, I guess I guess we're losing May. And then she stands up. And she's OK. And I'm like. I guess she's okay, but he hasn't checked her for blood. And and then, you know, oh, May, okay. Yeah. So my, my wife is watching it, and the moment she says, with great power comes great responsibility, mm-hmm. my wife ter- turns to me and goes, okay, she's dead. Yeah, yeah, no, you got branded, right? I mean, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> We're going to lose hot May, you know? Yeah. I, I, I really did. I, I enjoyed the film a great deal. I thought No Way Home was terrific. And I particularly enjoyed uh, – I know everyone everyone talks about you know the post-credit scenes. But I just enjoyed the credits, the, uh, the um, uh, song that they played during the credits, the animation in the credits, I, the, the end credits. I just thought were fantastic. I really enjoyed those. And I think that's something that Marvel has done lately that I've very much enjoyed is the uh, – the, uh, top end credits that they play there's there's usually a very interesting animation with it i've I've enjoyed that in most of the movies i've seen recently i can't say that i thought eternals was particularly inspired but then again nothing was particularly inspired in the eternals i still haven't seen it so i found it really interesting i found it really interesting with spider-man how they continued to deny that andrew garfield and toby Maguire were in it all the way up to the point of the 
when they let people see the movie like beforehand, they cut it after that Aunt May scene. Oh, they, really? Yeah, they did not let the reviewers see the entire movie. They let them see only up to that scene. Oh, wow. And, and then, because they were adamant about it, yet I'm pretty sure they leaked that they were in it because it was yeah. one of the big driving things to get people into the theaters, yet they even did not let the critics see those scenes. Yeah, I'm noticing the current trend seems to be the Monday following open weekend, it's game on for for spoilers right. and advertising. And so that's why I'm you know I'm glad you were able to still enjoy. It's a good movie. You know, I, I like I said I you know I don't care for the first two. I, the first one's okay. You know, Homecoming's okay, but I really don't like No Way Home. No, Far From Home. Far From Home. Um yeah. I also don't like the way they named them because it's very confusing. Um, it is confusing. It is it's confusing. It's the home trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. But you know one thing that I, that I found, you know, Spider-Man's all about responsibility and taking responsibility and being accountable. But the thing that I object to about this movie is how Dr. Strange tells Peter Parker, it's all his fault. And I'm like, okay, you cast the spell and you're the guy who didn't, you know, sit down and Hey, let's, uh, let's map out the parameters of the spell. You know, you just started casting a spell with 30 seconds notice that did not require you to do anything immediately. It was not an urgent need. It really bugged me how he would put that on Peter's shoulders. He, sh Dr. Strange took no responsibility at all, no accountability. And that, that really bugged me. And it, it says something to me about the character that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is playing there, that Dr. Strange is not really heroic. Um, I think he, I think Dr. Strange is a bad guy. Um, just saying, I mean, I don't think that he is, you know, twisting mustache bad, but I think that because he's got such a, uh, poor character, not in terms of acting or development, but because he, he, he makes irresponsible choices and he's got such great power. He does not adopt the great responsibility that Spider-Man does. Yeah. And I and, really, I mean, I'm just like, wow. I mean, this guy is not a good guy. And I don't think it's out of character with how we've seen him through the other movies either. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, my yeah, favorite scene though, of the whole movie was seeing them do the science, not yes. just one, but having three Peter Parkers, they're doing science because we haven't seen a lot of that with this version of Spider-Man. It's been Agreed. relying on Stark tech all this time and seeing the three of them just doing science and joking with each other and dealing. That was a part of Spider-Man that I felt had been missing from this version. Yeah. Well, and I really liked the line that, uh, you know, I, I agree. I, I like that as well. I, I really liked when Jamie Foxx is talking to, uh, Andrew Garfield, I think. And, you know, he's like, you know, you're a white guy. I, I, I really thought you'd be black. <laughs> and, you know, somewhere, somewhere in the multiverse, there's gotta be a black uh, Spider-Man. And I, I was like, I really liked that reference. I mean, I, I just thought that was really smartly written. Yeah. You know, it made sense in his mouth, you know, I, as opposed to, you know, being one of those lines that gets forced into the script. I thought that it, the, 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 the line really happened naturally. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, so, I, I, I thought it was a good movie, guys. I, I agree. I'm glad you got to see it, and 
Yeah, I think uh, we've got Doctor Strange coming up in May. Is our uh, our yeah, next uh, uh, I th- cinematic? As of this week, it was like fifty days for a uh, oh, theater that's release. Right, yeah. Yeah. Well, and so you know, but until then, we've we've already mentioned that Moon Knight is coming on March thirtieth, and um, after Moon Knight is Miss Marvel. The they they dropped the trailer this week for the upcoming Miss Marvel series uh, on Disney Plus. Yeah, I, I have questions really... about this trailer. Well, I was really eager to see it, except you know because I wanted to see how they were going to do her elastic powers, right? Uh, because that would give me a hint on what Mr. Fantastic will ultimately look like in the MCU. And then she doesn't have elastic powers. At least we don't see them in the in the preview. Yeah, when her hand grows, it's because energy fields are around it. But uh-huh. my big question is, in the first few scenes of the trailer, we get a lot of like pop-up things making it look like comic book frames and stuff. Mm-hmm. I need to know if that's going to be in the show or not, because uh, yeah. I don't want it to be. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering the same. Is that was that just for the trailer or is that something that's part of the actual film? Yeah. Did they not learn from Ang Lee's uh, Incredible Hulk movie? I mean that they learned how awesome that was in the Ang Lee Incredible Hulk movie <sighs> or I think it was actually Hulk. It, what it was was the worst comic book movie that was ever made. Uh, hardly. Hardly. Pick any of the Schumacher Batman movies worse. Hulk dogs. Loved Hulk dogs. I'd, I'd have Hulk dogs if I, if I could get, get a hold of some gamma irradiated dogs. Those are great dogs. Good boy. I'm so disappointed with you, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been talking this entire time on mute. Like, God, why are these guys talking over me? <laughs> so rude. No one cares about my opinion. I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I think the the little comic balloons and or cartoon balloons and and all that stuff i think we're hopefully just for the trailer but i wouldn't be surprised if they're sporadically throughout the show just to give it some sense of its own character but i i mean it, i i am not familiar with this miss marvel character i will say you know i haven't really read anything no. the with only her. thing i've read with her in it is the champions team book yeah, some crossover stuff, yeah. but I didn't. I mean, I've I've read yeah. very little of Champions, but yeah, crossover so, stuff is my only familiarity with her. Right. I've read a few things with her, and I'm not a fan of the original story arc because I didn't care for the artwork on it. The character has always been interesting to me because she is a super fan of uh, Captain Marvel. You know, she is a she's a fangirl. I really like that in a character. In a world with superheroes, you're going to have people that are the super fans of them. And then she suddenly gets her own abilities. I've always enjoyed the character, but I just don't actually read the character's books. Yeah, and I, I, I'm with you, Wayne. I feel like the art has uh, not been to my taste in that book. Because I, 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 too, have wanted to read the, read, read the comic. But, man, if the art doesn't grab me, I can't, I can't stay in. Um, but where, where I have seen her in champions and she's been, I want to say in a couple of issues of Nova, uh, where I have encountered her, I've really enjoyed her. I've seen her in some of the crossover books, uh, you know, event books and whatnot that I've enjoyed her in. Um, I like that, you know, in terms of representation, she's, uh, uh, of middle Eastern descent. Um, you know, and she is Muslim. I think that's important. And I, and I, I, I like how it's played in the stories that 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 I've read her in. 
and I'm eager to see what, what they do on, on this. I, I saw a Disney production. I think we talked about it last year or so, but it it's their, their 616 series, I think. I, yeah. I can't remember what they call yeah. it. I think it's the 616. And they there was a made for high schools a you know ms marvel stage play that marvel has put out there and they showed the production from beginning to end you know getting it you know getting the getting the cast together rehearsing the play performance etc and i really enjoyed that so uh i'm 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 very eager for this and i gotta tell you I, i i had completely forgotten that this ms marvel uh series was coming so yeah, I'm 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 excited to see it, and I'm guessing yeah, you know what else we've. I say you know what else we've forgotten. Thankfully, Morbius comes out April first. Oh yeah, I'm looking forward to Morbius. I'm looking forward the, to it too. I, I, the trailers yeah. have looked good, but I just I, I have a feeling it's going to be horrible. Even though the trailers I, do start to look good, I, I I'm cautiously optimistic. You know, Morbius was one of my favorite characters when I was growing up. When I first started reading Spider Man, I was like. This is so cool. He's a living vampire. <laughs> I, I, I always, I always, I always dug Morbius. I loved how he was drawn. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm excited to see what they do with this. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, they, they, they made decent Venom movies. I mean, I decent, think that, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that this, th- there might be something here. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if Morbius be. is at least as good as one of the Venom movies. I, yeah. I feel like they will have have overachieved that's the right. expectations. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's probably probably you know, the best way to look at it, Paul. Is I mean, you know, you're 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 hopeful, but you're expecting much like MJ, right? You're expecting disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've um, never seen the second better movie. Oh, it's worth watching. It's absolutely worth watching. So, I mean, if you like the first one, it's worth watching. It's just, it's very similar in feel and, you know, quality. I mean, let's face it. Tom Hardy makes that movie. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so there's a lot of stuff coming out. And, you know, on top of that, we've, we we had a... I don't want to say a big comic release week. Because I, I actually only purchased four books this week. But... Uh, yeah, no. This was a tiny week. Tiny week. But, I mean, there were some good quality books. Starting with Nightwing number 90. Which is, you know, continuing this... Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's intentional this way or, you know, like Nightwing team up stuff, because last issue of Nightwing, we had the uh, the start of the crossover with Superman, uh, Son of Kal-El. And now we've got a two parter featuring uh, Wally West, which thankfully I don't have to buy the next issue of Flash to read. It, it'll continue <laughs> in the pages of Nightwing. Um, but yeah, we, we've it, we've got a kind of another team up. But a you know, much different feel, right? You know, where Superman... Uh, you know, Jonathan Kent is is very much a junior to um, to Dick Grayson. Wally West is mm-hmm. self described his best friend in uh, in this book. Yeah, I loved Wally in this book, and I am reading the Flash book and really enjoying it. But I just love how you you know Wally's laying in bed and then gets the news and just is there. You know, no hesitation. He's there for Dick. <laughs> because we're five years old on it well five years we're 12 years old on this podcast (laughs) yeah and he can't just leave him there he's got to bring dick home yeah (laughs) so yeah i mean uh, one of the things we've mentioned uh about tom taylor is his ability to 
write superpowers in a way you know that others don't always think about um and that's you know i i don't know that i've seen other than you know the the injustice books i, I don't think i've seen him write wally west like in continuity and so mm-hmm. you know what I, one of the things i really appreciate about dc is that if a if a superhero goes bad for any reason and it pisses you off just wait a few years because it will be retconned to the point that they weren't under their own control. They were under some kind of mind control, whether it's Hal Jordan with Parallax or now Wally West, you know, like that whole Heroes in Crisis thing that pissed us all off so significantly. I mean, it's like it was, you know, now, now he's back yeah, to normal were. Wally West. Yeah. And yeah. for the record, I do read the uh, Flash book. They did retcon it out that Wally was not the one that caused the Speed Force explosion. Exactly. That killed them all. So it's basically like, they're like, oh shit, that pissed people off. Let's just uh, yeah. let's just undo that. And they do that let's... every time one of your heroes goes bad. Um, you know, ever since the, the Hal Jordan thing, right. every time a hero goes bad, just wait a few years. It, it, trust me, it wasn't them. <laughs> Well, and, you know, Hal Jordan stayed bad longer than any of the others, right? Yeah. But, and, and it wasn't until years later that they were like, oh, no, it was, a, Parallax wasn't Hal Jordan's other name. It was the name of the creature inside of him. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, and I'll be honest, I liked Hal better dead. I liked him as the uh, the Spectre yeah. far you know, more than I liked Hal as a Green Lantern. That hurts Hal's feelings when you tell him that. I I like you better when (laughs) you were dead. dead. (laughs) And and I'm fine with hurting his feelings because I'm a Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I got to tell you, Tom Taylor is such a smart writer. Um, I like he stays in the box in terms of facing problems that are presented. Like it makes perfect sense for Barbara Gordon to be abducted in this book. And while Barbara is fully capable of escaping this on her own, she knows that if she does that, it, it's not going to look right that Barbara Gordon was able to pick these locks and evade capture, right? Um, and it's a smart solution on this. And I'm just, I love how clever the writing is. Uh, I, 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 I love, you know, he's put, uh, you know, Bitewing, aka Haley. Uh, you know, Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon's puppy. And I have to say, I have to say that it's both of theirs because, you know, last issue, Barbara refers to her as our puppy. And in this issue, he responds to, to her. He describes her as our puppy, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I, but I find it interesting that they're not willing to call themselves boyfriend, girlfriend yet, but they own a dog. There's no way. Yeah, I loved that. That when that came yeah. up, the uh, her saying, uh-huh. "We haven't really defined what we are." Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're not. They're, they haven't done that, but but they but they you know, they 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 claim parentage <laughs> of the uh, three legged dog. But I love that the the placement of Haley in these stories because that's the character I'm the most concerned about when things are going down. So when his apartment building is about to blow up, you know, I'm like, you go get Haley, you get Haley out of there, you know? And then when he is, when Nightwing is, you know, safely uh, brought to Wally's home, you know, he's like, can you go get our dog? (laughs) I mean, it, it, it is 
as it, it is as primary in his mind as it is in mine. Yeah, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about this story. And I love that Flash's kids like the dog. Well, yeah. I mean, who's not going to like Haley? She's Bitewing for crying out loud. Exactly. <laughs> I love this. I, I love this run of Nightwing. I have not enjoyed a run of Nightwing as much since the original Scott McDaniel's run. Oh, and I uh, love that run. I mean, honestly, I liked the New Fifty Two run. Um, I don't remember who was writing that book when when the New Fifty Two first started. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I I enjoyed that Nightwing when he had his red costume. But basically, yeah. I've you know, and, and they make reference to it in in this book when. You know, when DC shot him in the, when uh, Tom King wrote that story oh, and, yeah. and, and shot him in the head and he became yep. Rick Grayson. Uh-huh. I, I, I hated that. God, that was so bad. Yeah. So bad. I, yeah. I loved Flash's reaction, though. The uh, what, what, just, When they see KG Beast? Yes. That yeah. he was so grateful that he's the one that gets to see him first. Yeah. 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 So, you got a lot of friends that want a piece of you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that was a, you know, as much as I enjoyed that book, mm-hmm. I will say I was really looking forward to Mark Wade and Dan Mora's Batman Superman World's Finest relaunch. Yeah. I did not care for this book. Not so, a good book. Artwork's beautiful. Artwork is so beautiful. Paul, I've got a question for you on this one. Yes. Because I remember you read a, you read a Batman book recently and you said yes. that there were events that happened in the back of it that you thought were no way a prelude to the series that they had to be reprinted in the series. Yes. Were they? Yes. It was um, up until, you know, there, there's a scene where Superman gets jabbed in the heart with red kryptonite. And then there are mm-hmm. like shadowy figures looking upon um, it's right before a flashback scene. If you're reading digital, it's page 13. That is where the preview ended. So it, it, these are the same pages. So that's what that's what I was saying. Like, this doesn't feel like something that can't be in the book. Um, and I was right. Like, it, basically, I spent six dollars on that piece of crap book um, <laughs> just to just to get pages that I was going to get anyway. Yeah. So but that's not the way my, they advertised it. Yeah. One of my annoyances was it felt like when they launched Batman Superman originally, the first thing they start with is Metallo. Uh-huh. Like shooting Superman in the heart with something kryptonite. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like they're completely redoing the previous series story, only retelling it. And outside of that, when does this happen in continuity? Because he's got a Robin with him, but which Robin is this? And It's Dick Grayson, because it, it, Lo- Lois does not know that Clark is Superman yet. So this yeah. is right. earlier in their career, for sure. So, it, 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 which... Would have been, I mean, they did a lot, they did say years ago, but, you know, then you had an additional flashback to even years before that. Honestly, for for me, the issue with this book is that it was a clusterfuck, for what it's worth. Like, there's so much went on in this book, it was just chaotic. Um, Chaotic at the expense of anything else. Um, and, And the fact that, like, within the same book, never, like, remember... I said those 13 pages, those first 13 pages felt like they had to be reprinted. Not only did they reprint them in here, they showed the same scene twice again later in the book mm-hmm. about Superman getting stabbed in the heart. I'm like, do we need the recap of something that we just read 20 pages ago? Um, it, it was, I don't know, it just felt like for me, it was just so much 
the felt, problem with me was the writing, and that, that's sad for me to I say agree. with Mark Wade. I agree. I I feel I feel like the book needed some heavier editing in terms of the text. In mm-hmm. fact, there is so much text over gorgeous artwork. I mean, the artwork is off the charts wonderful. I uh, I mean, it's it's dynamic. It is. Uh, it does a with the. Ex- Exception of one area, it does a terrific job communicating what's going on, well, and there's and just a lot. It's repeated text too. Yeah, I, there how is many just, times do they give the same line about it being a cocktail of red kryptonite? Right, right, and uh, you know there are beautiful pages like when Rita Farr first shows up. Uh, she is she is just gorgeous on the page. Mm-hmm. And with without it being, you know, uh, exploitive, right? I mean, she's just Rita Farr is supposed to be just physically stunning, and she is on the page. Um, I there are these wonderful, you know, red kryptonite induced action sequences, but yet Mark Wade can't help himself by throwing text all over it. And I I've never found Mark Wade to be excessive in his use of narrative yet. Here it is. Yeah. Um, and, and there's this terrific page and exchange between Superman and Batman towards the end of the book. And I'm like, you know, you probably could have accomplished the same thing with half as much text. And I could have enjoyed more of the artwork, but I mean, it's just tons of artwork, uh, tons of text over, over the, uh, the art and you, the the last page of the book is supposed to really land on you and i it didn't it didn't hit me i mean i, I and and i think it's because dr calder we don't get enough time with dr calder in the book to understand him uh, all we're all we're given is, you know, it looks like we've got these kryptonite irradiated surgical implements and we're about to cut on Superman. I, I just it bothered me that that it that the one page of the book that I felt like needed a little bit more prep probably needed another page just to 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 you know prime the pump, as it will. Yeah. Uh, we didn't get it. And, and so I hit the last page of the book. I'm like, what? That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden it's like, oh, that's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah it, it was, it's weird. And, you know, cause I was really looking forward to this book. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but yes, for me, I'm going to give another issue just because of the creative team. Yeah. I love Dan Mora art. I love Mark Wade writing. Um, yeah. Dan Mora art was definitely the high point of this book, but the Mark Wade writing, uh, you know, I don't know if he was just trying to make some type of statement. <laughs> with this first issue yeah. uh and uh, hopefully it takes a, a minute to breathe in the second issue well i would very yeah. much love to see you know a just artwork only book uh, of this because i again I, I think that the that the art was the standout on this book and mark wade did it no favors with his writing yeah uh, which i hate to say because i'm a huge mark wade same. fan but same i don't like the story being told yeah well, and it, and and I I feel like I'd have been happier with it if he just had not been quite so verbose, right? I just it was just way too many words, way too many words, and you know it's kind of like uh, the the emperor in uh, in uh, Amadeus, you know, too many notes, 
too many words here. <laughs> so, <laughs> Look at you. Anywho, deep cuts. Deep cuts deep today. Cuts, deep cuts. So, uh, you know, world's finest, not so much. Uh, but what about Batman the Night, number three? I loved this issue. Same. I, I loved this issue. It's the conclusion of the first arc. And I will say, I'm sure, I'm not sure it was intentional this way. Um, but it tells a similar feeling story, and I, you know, I'm trying, and not no spoilers, but it tells a similar feeling story to the Batman, right? Like this is very much tonally the type of story that you're getting in cinemas right now, um, with you know the the current iteration of of Batman, and so it would be, I, I it almost feels like DC should be hyping this book up more than they are because one, it's excellently written by Chip Zdarsky, the art by Carmine D. Gian Domenico, Jean Domenico, um, mm-hmm. is just fantastic. Um, I, I I really, really liked this book. And, and as the conclusion of the first arc, you know, for only a three-issue arc, it told a story that many other writers would tell in six to eight issues, in three right. issues, without feeling slighted. Um, and, you know, it felt like a, a little Batman movie, you know? And I, I really liked that about it. Well, and it also has elements, I mean, it, certainly coincidentally, but it also has elements of Spider-Man No Way Home, you know, in, in mm-hmm. that, you know, at the end of the book, you know, Bruce Wayne has beaten the living crap out of a guy and just about to kill him with his fists as Spider-Man tried to do with Norman Osborn at the end of No Way Home. I mean, it's very much that same moment. And it, it really, you know, I, that landed with me. I, I read this issue before I watched No Way Home, but they both really resonate in terms of of establishing that these characters don't kill, right? And here's why. Um, You know, certainly uh, Bruce Wayne is a much darker character than Peter Parker, but they both have darkness. Uh, I love this book. I think that it is, it is up there for me in the same, in the same world as uh, Batman Year One. Uh, I think that it is a story well told. It really grounds the character. And, you know, every, every you know, you know, five or ten years, we kind of have to tell this kind of Batman story to, you know, kind of freshen him up. Uh, I think it's a good place for this character to root into. Uh, I, I, I very much enjoyed this. Yeah. So if you are not picking up, you know, uh, if you're not picking up the night, certainly recommend picking it up. Um, I'm, I'm assuming this thir- first three-issue arc will be collected. And this is what did they say? Is this a twelve, a ten issue series? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, 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 I genuinely enjoyed this first arc, and I'm looking forward yeah. to what comes next. And another three months, it'll be available in, in the DC app, so you know you can always catch it there too. Yeah. Which is where I plan to pick up uh, the rest of World's Finest, by the way. Okay, so you're not going <laughs> to pick up issue two. I'm not picking up number two. I was too frustrated by it, and you know it, it is deeply out of continuity <laughs> oh know? fair yeah so it doesn't really so, matter when you read it the you exactly. know the the urgency of of continuity um right. yeah not a big thing right so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna read it in the app but uh wayne 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 you know sometimes a book comes so far out of left field in terms of how much i enjoy it when i enjoy a book more than I ever thought that I would, more than I ever had a right to enjoy it. Sometimes a story hits me right in the middle of my 14-year-old brain. Uh, And that was Reckoning War, uh, what is it, uh, Trial of the Watcher, number one, 
this was so much a story that 14 year old Aaron would have read over and over and over again. Oh, definitely. As as opposed to me who fell asleep last night reading it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, I I made it almost to the very end, but uh, I, I, so I haven't finished it, but the whole concept of this book is amazing. It is so, it is so navel gazing. It is so meta and it is so smack dab in the creative lane that I love. Uh, It asks the question, what if the watcher didn't watch? I mean, how we have not told this story before, how I never thought about this story before, what if the watcher didn't watch, is so freaking amazing. I love this book. And I'm going to finish it as soon as we're done here. (laughs) Yeah, so this book could have been named instead of... uh, the name for the crossover they could have just called it what if the watcher hadn't interfered yeah because that's what this book really is you know it's it is tied into this crossover which isn't actually a crossover because it's only happening within the pages of fantastic four but it feels like an event book and it does pages but they even you know they even at one point say that they're talking about how The Watcher looks at all of these different worlds, but the one world he doesn't look at is the one where he didn't interfere. Right. And they start telling that what if story. Well, and I love how judgy they get with him about his his watching the alternate realities. Right. I mean, the you just kind of assume that that's that's chill that watchers watch other other possibilities. And, you know, they are rather you know judgy about that with him uh i i this book this book does the thing that so many crossovers don't it's that it moved the story to a different level and it added a a terrific layer of continuity to the marvel universe yeah uh, it, it builds on you know fa- it builds on that foundation that we've had for decades in marvel storytelling and again you know crossovers used to do that crossovers used to take the story to whole other levels instead of just being something that is clearly out of continuity or something that clearly disregards continuity dan slot as many issues as i have with dan slot uh, he is a writer that deeply embraces what's gone before in the Marvel universe. And he is, he is famous for asking questions that nobody ever asks. Uh, and I really admire that about him. He, it, he has done a remarkable job here, uh, bringing the story forward yet honoring what's come before. And the Javier Rodriguez artwork is just stunning and wholly appropriate for telling the story of a world that we didn't get to see. Well, and the other thing I love about it is a lot of the what if stories lately haven't really been what ifs. They've been drastically twisted versions. I, the best what if story is when a single moment changes and Mm -hmm. that changes everything. And that's what this book is. And it doesn't just end right there in that event you go on and you see what happens right and i just love that it was one of the better what if stories going back to one of my favorite fantastic four stories i would say that this is the best what if story i've read since volume one of what if 
I, I, I think, I think that the best what if stories were that, that original, you know, the, the original volume and in that original volume, probably the first 24 issues, I think has the, the best of those stories because they, they went to, you know, uh, foundational moments in the early Marvel, Marvel universe. And this does that. And it, it, you know, I, I get really frustrated when they'll have, you know, an event, you know, and then the day after that event over, here comes the what if story. I yeah. think that the best what if stories are those that tell tell something about an event that happened years ago. So we've had an opportunity to live with it. Right. You had an opportunity to live with it. See how th- some things roll out. Uh, but our, the eagerness of Marvel in the last 20, 30 years has been let's go ahead and race to that what if book so we can go ahead and get that, you know, that comic book purchase now as opposed to waiting and telling a better story. Uh, I, this book was terrific. I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to finish it. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm three pages out. I fell asleep. The iPad hit me in the head <laughs> when I fell asleep uh, reading last night. Uh, but I will finish it today. But I mean, I've, I've loved it so much. And when Wayne and I were talking beforehand, he's like, oh, no, it's a great book. It, fin- it finishes well. So uh, yeah. I, I, I'm confident in my recommendation here. So, Paul. Yes, sir. Or perhaps I should say, hey, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? <laughs> well, you know, kind of going back to our our, our theme about uh, everything old is new again, right? Between uh, the flashbacks and Batman Superman or what if books of the past or Batman the Night being set back in uh, you know the, the early days of, of Bruce Wayne. We've got kind of a, a little bit of a flashback week from Marvel Comics. David M- Michelin. Michelini? Michelini. Michelini is doing a new Venom Lethal Protector miniseries from Marvel this Comics. Where Venom's a good guy. Yeah, um, st- it's set. I, it's set during uh, the Venom Lethal Protector days from when David Michelini was actually writing the book. Uh, okay, now I'm interested suddenly. Yeah. Who's doing the art on it? Um, yeah. Ivan Fiorelli. Uh, I, I am not I, familiar, not but familiar. the that yeah. the cover it has a very uh, Todd McFarlane vibe to it. Um. And, you know, continuing the trend, Larry Hama is writing a... Larry? Go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. I just... Wow, that name. Okay. Right? (laughs) He's writing a Wolverine patch book, Um, you know, set in... uh, It's it's an all-new story, but it's set, you know, when Wolverine was in his patch persona in the, you know, in Madripoor. Um, Art by Andrea DeVito, who... Uh, I I think is a, a fantastic artist. He, uh, we we discovered Andrea Devito, at least I discovered Andrea Devito during uh, the days of that awesome um, Boom Studios Dungeons and Dragons book. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that that I think he's gone on to do a, a number of great books from uh, Marvel. But yeah, a, a patch book from Larry Hama, GI Joe. I have to check that out. I always enjoyed the patch book, and man, Larry Hama. I mean, that's that's a that's going into the way back machine. Right. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, if that's not enough nostalgia for you, Wayne is going to, uh, Wayne's pants are getting tighter right now because Godzilla versus Mighty Morphin Power Rangers issue one of five comes out I've, next week. I've been looking forward to this for a couple months. <laughs> yeah. Um, from Cullen Bunn uh, from, with art by Freddie Williams. Mm, <laughs> yes. Freddie Williams. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be wow. picking that one up as well. I'm not a I'm not a Mighty Morphin guy, but I am a Freddie Williams guy and a Godzilla guy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I 
I just want to see Dragonzord versus Godzilla. Yeah, well, you will. Maybe not in issue one, but in the series. Yeah. Oh, they'll they'll build up to that. They'll yeah. tease it. My guess, my prediction, the last page of of issue one will be the Dragonzord coming out to face off against them. Dragonzord. <laughs> Dragonzord. Um, and from DC Comics, we get new issues of Action Comics, continuing the War World Saga. Issue 6 of 8, I think, of Human Target. Um, or is it, is it a 6-issue series or an 8-issue series? I think it's 8. Or Human Target? Yeah, Human Target. I think it's 8, yeah. yeah. Um, so, new issues of Human Target. Um, we get Robin issue 12. The only reason I mention it is because is it, it is leading into the big Shadow War event, crossing over between Batman, Robin, and Deathstroke. And um, from the same writer, Joshua Williamson comes Rogues, issue one, um, which is a, a new DC black label, mature readers, uh, like prestige format series about uh, the Flash Rogues. Hmm. I might check out some preview pages. Um, same. Because I, I, yeah, it, it definitely interests me. Yeah. Is that, so is that it, Paul? There's not, nothing else new th- th- next week? Nope, that should do it. Well, hopefully we'll be able to find them in Comicsology next week. If, well, I mean, they're DC and Marvel books, so for the most part, we should be able to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they're coming out speak... from Aftershock, it'd be a whole other issue. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say, speak for yourself. I I miss at least one Marvel or DC book every week until I see it on your list, and then I go out and get it. This week it was Nightwing. Well, hey, we want to know what you thought about this week's books. Tell us what you thought about No Way Home. Let us know if you've seen Batman and Bill. Give us a call, 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you could win co-creator credit on Batman. <laughs> I, I don't know that we have that control. Oh, we uh, do. We oh, do. we do. We have okay. that kind of control. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's Batman spelled with B-A-H-T. Man, like uh, you, you, you can buy the newest issue of Batman on the the corner of a New York City street. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you can also hit. It's our brand new superhero. It's a guy that walks around with baseball bats. Exactly, it's, it's Turkish Batman. Turkish Batman. <laughs> <laughs> you can also hit us up on social media, I O M Geek on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. What a deal! Well, hey, uh, I think we might be a man down next weekend man when down. we record. Yeah, I think uh, you know we're going to lose Paul yes. to uh, to something, but uh, Wayne and I hopefully will be here. That Maybe ominous. even an Andrew. You never know. <laughs> uh, you never know. You don't know what's going to happen, or it could be a bye week. You just don't know because we don't know. That's but we'll we figure it out. Do. But regardless, Paul, we'll see. You Paul next time. just threw that grenade over the fence this morning. Oh, by the way, don't forget, I won't be here next week. I won't be. Here. So uh, you know, you can blame Paul for whatever happens. I got stuff to do. Uh (laughs) talk to you guys later bye podcast theme music graciously provided by mark andrew pope for more information visit markandrewpope.com funny books with aaron and polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com no spider-man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast